Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, White Sox fans. Brett Valentini here, hosting, lucky enough to host, edition number two of Dugout Metrics. You might remember, about a month ago, we debuted our latest podcast uh, with two of our more sabermetric-inclined guys who also happen to be uh, recent and current baseball players at the college level. Uh, we thought that was a nice combination to sort of give you some insight that you might not get from some of our other podcasts. So let me welcome in for the second time. Yes, this is edition number two. It's Luke's Mails and Trevor Lines. Guys, thanks for joining again. Uh, I think we've got some news to talk about. Yeah, thank yeah, we you, do. Brad. <laughs> yeah, Liam Hendricks. You get, finally got a move to talk about after a month, so that's always good. Big commitment to Liam Hendricks, and we sort of knew this was coming uh, the site itself and James Fox had anticipated this move a week ago, thinking it was going to be happening last week. Uh, apparently, the deal got chopped around a little bit more, so the White Sox ended up have pony up a little bit money, including a really sort of bizarre uh, fourth year. If Liam is absolutely toast in 2024, he gets uh, very strange, like was it million and a half a year for 10 years, something crazy like that. But let's just hop off right here because you guys are going to have insight that perhaps we're not going to get uh, in many other spots. You're not going to hear on many other podcasts. Really, it seems dumb. Uh, even a dumb guy like me can say, hey, he's got a lot of saves. You know, he's, he's aces. He's tough. He says all the right things. What makes Liam Hendricks so good? Um, Hendricks... Um... There's a lot that makes him good. Um, obviously, the thing that jumps off the bat, uh, jumps off the page of you is his fastball, um, how good his fastball is. It gets um, almost 20 inches of induced vertical break, um, which is um, really crazy, actually. There's only six pitchers that were better in 2020 in Major League Baseball than, than Liam Hendricks were, was an induced vertical break. Um, and those, that was uh, James Karinchak, Tristan McKenzie, Wes Benjamin, who's a reliever uh, for the Rangers, Cam Bedrosian with the Angels, and then Trevor Bauer. And then from that group I just named, only Bauer got more horizontal break than Hendricks. Um, Hendricks gets 8.1 inches of horizontal break, and Bauer was, Bauer was at 9.1. Um, 
another interesting tidbit, he gets seven feet of extension uh, off the mound, which is pretty crazy. Um, so it's like right on top of you. So he's listed at six feet, but he's, um, you know, he's coming seven feet farther at you um, off the mound, which, which creates an advantage as well. Um, and then, yeah, you guys, he had a 17.6. You guys as hitters, you guys don't like seeing that kind of extension. You don't like the guy tickling your chin as he's releasing the ball. Well, no, because then, you know, he's <laughs> at 60 feet, six inches, he's coming at you, you know, more like, uh, you know, 53 feet. Um, so it just, it creates, it, it adds an element of deception as well. So, so definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. For like your old school baseball guys, for your old school baseball guys, um, before they had all the ways to quantify it, it would be a guy that you come back to the dugout and say, wow, his fastball really jumps on you. It really gets on you. Um, and that's one of the reasons why is because of that extension that he gets. It makes 95, 96, maybe feel like a hundred. Yeah. That perceived velocity is a lot higher. And he's a guy who, up until recently, I mean, part of the reason why we can calm people's fears about giving so much money, the guy at this age, and if you look at his career stats, they can be frightening. Well, this is a guy who still has a relatively fresh arm. He's sort of just recently come into this role. Either of you guys give me some insight as to really what's changed with him to make him really uh, the elite closer in the game. Yeah, um, I would say, you know, obviously he just relatively recently became uh, a true closer, a true guy that got the ninth inning. And when you're talking about someone that, you know, you may have heard some of the interviews with him, he has that competitive edge that he brings (laughs) to the table. Um, He wants the ball in the ninth inning and he wants to prove that he's better than every hitter he faces. So when we're not looking at the analytics side of it, it's a little bit tough to quantify that, but that's something that that edge is something that a lot of closers need. Um, So getting into that closer role, some of the work that he's done with Codify, um, something that Lucas Giolito and Yasmani Grandal use as well with some of the heat maps, um, understanding what he should be throwing to hitters in certain situations, certain counts and where he should be throwing those pitches Um, Ever since he underwent that change, that's something that has seemed to really propel him into the dominance that he's shown over the past few years. And with that great plus plus stuff that Luke was mentioning, he also has great control. Um, He, over the past two years, his walks per nine innings were 2.22. And then last year, one walk per nine inning. Um, So out of a closer, He's not someone that's going to put a lot of guys on base, which is kind of something that with Alex Colomay, it almost seemed like he was dancing out of trouble every time he went out there. And with Liam Hendricks, he's more of that prototypical dominant guy. He's not going to give up free passes. He's going to get a lot of strikeouts. And it's more of a sustainable solution to the pen. Although Alex Colomay, you you can't say enough about what he's done over the past couple of years for the Sox. That sort of leads into what I was going to ask next. You touched on it a little bit there, Trevor, but there's obviously a contingent of fans. I don't think too vocal because I think generally people are pretty thrilled by the fact that Liam Hendricks is going to be the closer for the White Sox. Uh, and we've heard a lot about how Colomay's peripherals, it's a ticking time bomb and, and so forth. But Colomay was a guy who was going to come back. He, he knows the team, the team's familiar with him. He was going to come back cheaper. He's certainly going to come cheaper and with shorter contract commitment. 
So, all right, the question is, why not just stick with Alex Colomay as your closer? Um, I think Hendricks um, gives you that advantage of, um, you know, MLB Network just released that they had him as the top closer in baseball. And I think, um, you know, he's definitely top five, and you could definitely make that argument like they did that he's the number one closer right now in baseball. Um, just based on some of those, um, you know, physical stats I was telling you about, um, the guy's just nasty. I mean, Colomay, to his credit, he did, you know, he did what he was brought in to do. He converted saves for a couple of years. And, um, you know, like Trevor said, he did make it interesting at times and maybe we won't get that same, you know, a uh, couple of base runners on in the ninth uh, every time as we kind of saw from Colomay. But um, yeah, I think the word with Colomay is that some people could not understand how he kept starving off the expected regression um, that he was going to do. And um I think Hendricks is just the the I don't want to say safer bet, but it's the it's the guy you go out and get because you're able to do that based on the fact that you have already a good bullpen built up. You have Bummer, you have Marshall, you have Hoyer, you have Foster, all signed cheaply, so you can kind of go get the cherry on top with with a guy like Liam Hendricks. But somebody now that uh, that Hendricks is off the table, somebody's going to pay uh, Colin for probably multi-year deal and give him a, a decent chunk of money here. Would there be room for him in this White Sox bullpen if this dead market continues dead? I know Colomay obviously wants to be closer. There is a need from other teams. But let's say people see those, uh, see some of the numbers and they can't make, they can't figure it out either. Uh, and maybe his market does drop. Or he's not getting a good, say he's getting $7 million offer to be a closer somewhere else. Does he take five and come back with the Sox? Is there room for him, or do we just have too many young arms and he has to be squeezed out? Yeah, I, I highly doubt that the Sox would make that commitment to Alex Colomay and bring him back. Um, based off of his 2019, some of his advanced stats and some of his pitch metrics – it seemed like he was primed for a regression in 2020. And he actually took a step forward when it comes to some of those metrics and some of that uh, advanced stat type thing, which makes you think that it could be more sustainable now, maybe not to the level that he was converting saves at in the last two years, but he's definitely a solid bullpen arm. Um, and he's going to go somewhere and should get a, I would think should remain as a closer. Um, and I think he can perform relatively well, but he doesn't necessarily have that certainty that you may be getting. Not to say that any bullpen arm is a certainty, but um, Liam Hendricks is about as safe of a bet as it can get for at least the next year or two. Um, and when it comes down to some of the money that the White Sox spent, it didn't look like they were going to make a huge splash anywhere else. Obviously, playing at the top of the market for a relief pitcher is a little bit different and may not take quite as much commitment quite as much money and they they gave him a pretty penny but um I think that over the next few years I mean what do you have to lose it's not like they're up against some sort of a salary cap it's just money so let's hit on that yeah, and, I, I, and I want to hear oh go go ahead yeah I was just gonna say if I had to bet too with Colomay um I'd bet that the Sox will, will be facing him a lot this next year because my my uh Prediction here on the podcast is that he'll be a Minnesota twin now that the Sox signed Hendricks. I think the twins are going to go hard after Colum A because they need a closer. They've been talking a lot about Brad Hand. Um, and there's been rumors about the Sox maybe trying to pillage Nelson Cruz, but I think the twins pivot here and now they go after Colum A. I've seen some sass from Minnesota about this, you know, this overpay 
whatever for Hendrix. And so I believe me, that did sort of kick into my head. I'm glad that you're putting that down <laughs> as a prediction because I wasn't going to say it. But if that yeah. flop happens, oh, boy, I'm going to sit back. It might be some some popcorn time for that. Uh, yeah. Um, but okay, let's get. Uh, uh, I want both of your opinions on this. Uh, sort of going off of what was just said in terms of the value and the money laid out. How much prime Hendrix do we need to get? Meaning this this 2019 2020 run he's been on, and what the White Sox are paying for. How many seasons of that do we need? And forget World Series. Obviously, the White Sox won a World Series. It's all worth. It doesn't matter. White Sox don't win a World Series. How many prime seasons of Hendrix do we need out of this four year contract for us to feel like? All right, I'm happy with this deal and what was shelled out. Is it, is it just a single season? Is it a couple? Is it three? Yeah, I would think that I'd want Hendricks at least for the next two years to be that top end elite closer, and then in that third year, um, probably you know still an above average closer is what what I would hope for. Um, I know that the fourth year kind of gives them some flexibility if they want to kind of kick out that you know that ten year uh, payout if they want to do that. Um, but maybe that's a signal that, hey, they, they told Hendricks, you know, we're going to use you a lot. And if your arm's blown out by then, then so be it. But, you know, these next three years, you're going to be used a ton, um, you know, upwards of 100 innings or, you know, what it may be. But, um, yeah, I think at least at least two years we needed an, an elite closer out of Hendricks for given what we're paying him. Trevor? Yeah, I would reiterate that. I think that, you know, he's, what is he, 32 years old? He He mm-hmm. should be with the way that a lot of pitchers are aging these days, especially once they make that transition over to the bullpen, seems like he should still have two, three, maybe if we're lucky, even four good years in him. Um, and so I don't think that's too much to ask, especially with the amount of money that they shelled out to, to pay him. Now, one of you guys always already referred to the fact that he's got this, I mean, he's got a very, He's got a vocal approach. He's got a lot of attitude on the mound. And that's, that's somewhat traditional with closers. Uh, Colony didn't necessarily have that, but you see that more often than not. Um, as, uh, you know, both as a fan, as, as, a, as a student of the game, but, uh, you know, even particularly as a player, uh, is there something to, like, the closer mystique? Is there something to that bravado? Does that amp you up at all? Uh, or can that, can that be too much and become a distraction? Uh, what's your feeling there? Because as you just pointed out, he, he may be counted on for major, major innings, which is maybe another thing that could really give heart to the team where it's like, hey, we know if we need him, we, we got him for two innings. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said about that. I think as a closer and a guy, you know, when you're playing behind your closer, you want a guy – that you feel is super confident in the high leverage moments is going to go out and take the ball. And, um, you know, maybe if he does have, you know, some butterflies in, in a certain situation, high leverage situation, um, you know, he's kind of combating that own emotion within himself by getting really fired up and, and um, you know, kind of showing that other outward emotion um, as a closer. But I think, um, you know, as it relates to Hendricks, I think maybe what the Sox like too is, because he's so you know, kind of vocal, energetic, and he's ready to take that moment, um, I would also like to see them maybe experiment in his role a little bit and kind of take after what the how the Rays handled uh, Nick Anderson uh, this past year. Um, I think figuring out the best way to deploy Liam Hendricks in the most uh, the highest leverage situation, whether that be the seventh, eighth, ninth inning whether it be the, the fifth inning when, you know, bases are loaded and one out or whatever it may have you, whatever it may be. Um, you have a lot of other really good bullpen arms um, 
I thought Aaron Bummer might be the closer this year, so you could definitely deploy him in the ninth inning. People think Hoyer's a future closer at Crochet. Um, so I think they might experiment a little bit with, with Hendricks' role. Yeah, as far as what you were talking about with that mentality of a, a closer, or really as a pitcher in general, depending on, you know, you'll get some guys, I think it's a lot personality-based, like you mentioned with Colome. Some of those guys will show the emotion outwardly and other guys are more internally focused and mild-mannered. But like Luke mentioned, what you really want in a pitcher in general is that internal confidence that they think they are the best pitcher in on the face of the planet um, is what you hope. You know, I played with guys that one guy in particular, I'll mention him if he's watching this, Hunter, don't get too mad at me, but he had very average stuff, but he truly believed that he was the best pitcher on the face of the planet when he took the ball. He, he was my roommate and he would tell me when I go up there, you know, I feel like I can throw it right down the middle and they're not going to be able to touch me. And he led that. He used that to a, a very, very stellar uh, career as a starting pitcher at Bellarmine. Um, so that internal confidence, I think, is the most important part. And you can just tell from some of the interviews that I've watched that Liam Hendricks has that for sure. And he wants to prove that the deal, you know, was a bargain. Um, so hopefully he brings that fire and that energy. As far as where he ends up, um, I, if I had a guess, you know, with the way that the White Sox have always done things um, and with Tony Larusa, although he has been known to embrace the analytics for his time. I would think they'll just stick him in the ninth inning and let him do his thing. All right, we are going to continue this closer discussion. We're also going to get into other aspects of the offseason, given that this is probably the biggest splash move, as evidenced by, I believe, uh, 13 podcasts on Southside Sox this week, having to do with Liam Hendricks, including this one. We're going to take a quick break and get back with the second half of Dugout Metrics here in just a second. And if you're watching the video, just close your eyes for a sec. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay, we are back. It is Dugout Metrics 2. I'm here with Luke Smales and Trevor Lines. We're talking mostly... Liam Hendricks, given that that is the big splashy free agent signing, most likely of the offseason for the Chicago White Sox. But let's just ease up just a couple steps from specifically Liam Hendricks. I want to get a little philosophical with you guys. And it gets into a little bit of that closer mystique again. Liam Hendricks in a great, great 2019 season, I believe three and a half uh, baseball reference war, which is ludicrous, obviously, for a reliever. So top of his game, still pitches, Five, throws 5% of the pitches that Oakland threw that year. Uh, Closer-wise, do we make too much of a closer? I mean, we just, we just spoke before the break about how it's important to have this guy with bravado, a guy that you can hand the ball to, and this game is over. But maybe extending a little bit from what Luke was talking about, where this guy can be deployed, a guy like Liam Hendricks can be deployed uh, earlier in a game, and, and it doesn't have to be a ninth-inning guy. Uh, do we make too much of closers, uh, you know, especially in light of the fact that we're paying Liam Hendricks an awful lot of money to, to probably take about 
five or so percent of the pitches uh, uh, during the course of each season of his contract. Yeah, I think there's, um, I think the closer role is overblown. I think the whole ninth inning guy that you have to bring in when you're um, up by three or less, I think that's a little bit overblown. I don't think the importance of of a good bullpen and the Sox potentially having an elite bullpen um, when it comes playoff time, I don't think that's overblown. Um, I think maybe what pushed this kind of signing over the edge was what they saw firsthand when they saw kind of how the A's were able to use Hendricks on back-to-back days. Um, I know the the first day he wasn't as effective, but, um, you know, being able to throw him multiple innings, 50-plus pitches, um, I think Hendricks might be a little bit of a different cat that way. Um, I think he's um, he's just, I think, by far and away, um, he's by far and away the best reliever available. And, and like we said before, he's, he's probably – he might be the best one um, in the game right now. Um, but I don't think, yeah, I think, especially given the other relievers that the Sox have, I think they were just able to make this move. And um, like I said before, with the roles, I don't, I think the other guys that they have uh, slated in that bullpen, I think gives them the flexibility should they want to do it um, to kind of uh, mix and match their, their usage of Hendricks. And I hope they do it. Yeah, Trevor, no, no offense to Hunter. Hey, hey Hunter. Uh, uh, is the closer role uh, as important as we make it out to be? Because we really do, as fans, generally speaking, make it out to be really important. Yeah, I think that it's fun to make the closer a a mystique almost. And it's kind of something that has lived throughout baseball history. Well, not really, actually. You know, back in the day, guys were going the whole game. But in recent baseball history, that guy that has that mystique around him, the fireman that's going to, come in and the game's over but like Luke was saying it is a little bit of a luxury Um, I personally if I was Rick Hahn I don't necessarily know what his budget was what Jerry is allowing him to work with so I can't make too many calls on that but I would have preferred to spend big money elsewhere rather than that bullpen arm just because like I mentioned typically they're so volatile from year to year Um, and you don't necessarily know exactly what you're going to get. So, you know, I would have preferred maybe the money be spent in right field prior to the Adam Eaton signing or starting pitcher, a top, top end starting pitcher, something like that. Um, Or, you know, maybe even splurge on a DH, which I don't necessarily know if would fit into the long-term plans unless you get a guy on a one-year deal like a Nelson Cruz. But um, that's kind of where I would have gone with it. But, you know, I can't complain about Jerry spending money. So um, I'll, I'll take it for sure. Getting that, that lockdown bullpen arm is better than not having it. So I, you know, I, I, I'm happy with it. That's comforting to hear, even from the sort of the metric side and the player side of things of, hey, you know, uh, of course we want to uh, put a finer point on all the spending because Lord knows it's, it's somehow limited for the Chicago White Sox playing in Chicago. But, you know, the truth is you're spending the money and, you know, we're going to get to in just a second whether this maybe is a, a signal that perhaps there, there might be surprisingly more uh, to come. We'll talk about that in a second. Let's just address before we uh, – leave the topic behind entirely uh, of Liam and, and how he'll be used. Does the fact that he is a different kind of cat, like Luke said, um, does he maybe force Tony Russa has been innovative, but let's face it. Tony Russa is a, a much older manager. He does have a young pitching coach alongside him. And so hopefully that will help with sort of the, 
the uh, the overall innovation of the handling of the pitching staff, but it's the fact that he's a he's a guy who can throw fifty pitches. The guy who's very different and has attitude says he's not going to refuse the ball. Uh, can he help? Maybe that in cahoots with a younger pitching coach could Hendricks help force a little bit of a, a changed attitude. I mean, we can all assume Tony's just going to want to hand it to Dennis Eckers. I mean, uh, Liam Hendricks uh, for the ninth inning, right? But could he maybe force some innovation based on uh, um, just the weapon that he is? Yeah, I think so. And I think maybe, um, you know, as you mentioned, I think Ethan Katz might have a, a role in that as well. You know, saying, you know, hey, Tony, we have uh, Cody Hoyer, we have Garrett Crochet, we have Aaron Bummer. We can give the ball to all those guys uh, in the ninth inning. If we have the top of the order coming up in the in the top of the seventh, and, you know, we want to make sure we get through it, we're, we're protecting one run league right now. Um, especially with our with our offense, we think they can get us a couple more runs. You know, why don't we bring in Hendricks right now and, um, you know, make sure we get through that top of the top of the order unscathed. And I think with Hendricks too, I think he's done that before. He's, he's been an opener before with Oakland. You know, um, Oakland's obviously a very innovative uh, organization and um, you know, he's been thrown in a couple of different roles and he think he, it seems like he, he kind of took to that as well. So obviously that's something you want to be vocal with him and say, Hey, are you comfortable coming in different situations? Um, I know some guys are, some guys aren't, but again, I, th- I think it's in their best interest to kind of, Figure out, figure out a way, figure out a model to bring him in in the, the highest leverage situations given the game situation because that's ultimately what we're paying him to do is, is get the biggest outs of the game. And those aren't necessarily in the ninth inning. This would be the craziest thing if after all our belly aching and a, a very legitimate belly aching over hiring Tony La Russa, it would be quite a prank if it turns out that like somehow <laughs> the White Sox become – like this Tampa Bay Rays innovative team with the use of that. He's really been studying the past couple of years. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's not impossible. He's obviously a very bright guy um, between the lines, a very bright guy. <laughs> and uh, you know, that would be a nice little uh, a cherry on the Sunday if it, if, it, if it turned out that way. And, you know, Again, hopefully having a guy, having a workhorse, and have a guy who's efficient as Hendricks has been with still a relatively fresh arm, it would be really great if he could force just even, you know, we don't need full innovation. Maybe not the fifth inning, but at least some partial innovation would be really cool and refreshing to see from the White Sox because I don't know if we've ever seen it. I mean, you know, in my lifetime as a fan, you guys, I can speak for you. I don't really think we've seen it that would be a cool offshoot given all of the the nightmare and headache of the later 2020 white Sox fandom uh was hey let's let's hop a little bit to uh what might remain in the off season uh we can assume there's not a lot of uh money to spend um and there's not really a lot of frontline talent on the market. George Springer might be the only one. Nelson Cruz, I guess you could sort of squeeze in that at, at DH, a uh, guy with a, a shorter term. In terms of long-term big money contract, Springer might be the only one. We see any chance of the White Sox signaling uh, with this Hendricks deal, which was more than they wanted to spend and more years than they wanted to give, of a little bit more of an all-in type of move where we might be a little surprised by what is still to come, or is it just going to be – tinkering and a couple minor moves from here um you know I don't necessarily know what you would consider a minor move I don't think we're going to see anything at the top of the market but I definitely think they're going to add another bat 
they're going to add another starting pitcher and potentially add a backup catcher. I think that that's less likely than the other two, but I could see them doing any of those things. Um, One guy that I would be interested in just for his versatility and I think could take some at-bats at DH as well and fits in pretty well with what we, the White Sox in general, need is Tommy Lastella, another former Oakland A. Um, He can play second base. He can play third base. We know Yohan Mankata has dealt with injuries. We know Nick Madrigal has dealt with injuries. And so keeping those guys fresh as well as taking some of those DH at bats, he's a guy that brings a high on-base percentage um, and has shown a little bit of pop as well. A left-handed bat, he's going to work his walks. He's not going to strike out as much, which are two things that the White Sox offense, although potent, tend to struggle with. So I think he's a guy that could fit in relatively well at a cheaper price point. Um, And then some of the names that you may hear about as far as a back-end starter that we could grab might be like uh, Corey Kluber, who got a lot of noise today because he threw a side and seemed to impress 25 or so teams that were there. Um, And he, after the injuries that he's dealt with, might take a a smaller one-year prove-it deal with that high upside of a former Cy Young contender. Um, Other names out there might be like a James Paxton, Paxton, um, Jose Quintana, guys like that. Um, So I think they'll add potentially a back-end starter. Uh, Although reports have been good on Dylan Cease and Reynaldo Lopez's progress, I don't think that we can necessarily count on those guys. So I'd love to see them add something as far as starting pitching goes. Well, it seems like the Tommy Listella, there's a ton of static and noise about that. Tommy, just give us a call. You can tell us it's happening. It seems like it's destined to happen. Whether it makes you excited, White Sox fan, it does seem like that's probably happening. So uh, that's probably astute uh, pick and observation uh, there, Trevor. You know, Luke, what do you got? Is there any chance that the White Sox, maybe they're, they're not going to get Trevor Bauer, but any chance they're maybe going more like a, like a Tanaka level, uh, again, as sort of a semi way of like going a little bit more all in on this? Or, or do you think, uh, like Trevor said, that it's a little bit more, um, I don't know, let's call it bargain bin, but let's just call it bargain bin, uh, hunting for that uh, number four spot. Yeah, I think the starting pitcher question I think is interesting. I think after I think that next kind of bucket of, of guys is the Odorizzi Tanaka. Um, um, you know, that group of guys, I think there's some buzz of Tanaka going back and pitching in Japan um, with his kind of uh, – there's some concerns about his uh, elbow and whether that's going to hold up um, and just about the finances if he'd get enough money that or enough that he wanted to, to not go back to Japan. Um I think the there's kind of two ways they could go with this. They could really, I think, kind of swing big and go for this group, like the Paxson, Quintana, and I actually kind of like Taiwan Walker is kind of an underrated name as well um, for that slot. But there's there's this heap of guys, these older guys that may be looking to catch on with a contender. You know, you have, as Trevor mentioned, Kluber, but you also have Cole Hamels, Adam Wainwright, Jay Happ, um, Jake Arrieta, Rich Hill, um, all these, you know, 35 plus guys that would, you know, maybe not make a bad fifth starter, 
maybe cover a couple months until you want to bring Kopech up, maybe Cease breaks out, um, maybe Stever um, gets some more minor league innings and he's ready to contribute at the big league level. Um, but the name I keep coming back to is Quintana. I'd love to see him back, um, especially kind of in a, in a lower leverage, you know, uh, back into the rotation role. We'll just have to see what his market's like, but I think um, the Sox could wait that out a little bit and see if the, it, that type of deal kind of comes to him. Um, maybe a two-year deal for Quintana wouldn't be so bad. And, you know, I think just to touch on, too, like what Trevor said about Listella, I really like Listella as well. Um, just before this, you know, there were some rumors that was, the Sox were interested in Listella, and I was like, eh, Tommy Listella, maybe not the flashiest guy. But when you look at his numbers the past two years, um, he's really put, he's played about, about a full a full season, 135 games over the last two seasons, 549 plate appearances. He's hit 289, 356 on base, 471 slug, 827 OPS, 353 uh, WOBA, and 100, 125 weighted runs created plus. So he's been a 25% above average hitter the past two seasons, 3.2 F4. Um, 8.6 uh, walk rate, 7.3% K to rate. So walks more than he strikes out. And the versatility that Trevor spoke of, 33 last year, 33 games at second, 10 games at first, nine games uh, as a DH, and six games at third. Um, so I think that Madrigal, Eaton, La Stella, 789, in, in any combination behind all the big boppers we got before that, I think that'd be um, really pesky at the bottom of the order. And we saw from La Stella, too, from this past playoff series that he was a tough out. It seemed like the Sox could not get him out easily if they could at all. Do you think uh, Rick Hahn at this point, uh, guys, is realizing he's he's starting to get a little bit of a pileup of prospects, maybe not you know the, the, the sexiest system in the game, but a pileup of prospects, guys who are not good, especially now adding uh, Yolkis uh, Cespedes, uh, now who's like yet another right field uh, prospect who is the most likely to end up in Chicago, it seems like, at this point. Do you think he's working the phones hard to try to maybe fill that four slot or maybe a, a higher than four slot uh, via trade, maybe trying to package uh, deals, maybe something with the Cincinnati or, or Pittsburgh? Or do you think he's you think he's tempted at all to prospect hoard at this point? Where do you think he's at given the fact that the team is sort of committing uh, to having that window really wide open now? Um, you know, I'm not really sure about that. I think that the Sox have an interesting system because it's always been pretty top heavy. It's starting to um, fill out a little bit with some of their more recent draft picks with some of those younger guys that they're bringing into the system and then some of the international prospects, obviously, as well. So I would be um, hesitant to part with some of our top guys. I really like Andrew Vaughn and think he's going to be uh, a guy in our lineup for a long time once Jose Abreu um, retires or starts to fade off that, that you know, is going to be a top-tier hitter and brings some of that, uh, you know, walks more than our typical prospect, that kind of stuff to the lineup. Um, and then, you know, I think Michael Kopech's value is relatively low right now compared to where it was. Um, and then some of these guys, you know, I might be willing to part with some of our younger guys, but 
Um, I just don't know if there's a really good fit right now. I know I've heard Andrew Benintendi's name a little bit as a potential upgrade in the outfield, which I would have loved if they didn't just bring in Adam Eaton. It seems like kind of a, a waste to bring in Eaton at this point if they do make that move, but I don't think that he would be super expensive. So, you know, I wouldn't be complaining much unless they significantly overpay for him. Um, but as far as the pitching side of things goes, I haven't really heard too much. Do you think that um, the fact that Drew Smiley uh, signed such a um, generous contract with Atlanta, do you think that is going to sort of spoil the market at all? And that guys, we think we might be able to get reasonably uh, say a uh, Quintana, maybe a, uh, a 215 kind of deal or, or maybe a worst case, like a, a 220 deal. Uh, do you think somehow that's spoiled or do you think the other, the rest of the league is going to say, all right, just because they sneezed over there doesn't mean that it's going to throw everything off because the truth is there's a lot of guys still waiting to find out where they're going to be playing this season. So there, there is definitely, uh, I would like to think still a buyer's market, or do you think the smiley thing throws things off? Um, I think Smiley probably looked at it and he didn't want to take any real risk. And he, I think he was happy with um, kind of, you know, what, what the Braves were offering him at the time and, and, and felt comfortable taking that. I think as time goes on and maybe, maybe now there's more certainty with kind of the season moving forward um, with teams and what they were allowed to spend. Um, I know as recent as, you know, right around Christmas time, teams in some teams didn't even have their, off-season budgets handed down from um, their ownership group and how much they could spend. Um, but the thing with the Braves is I believe they are a uh, um, publicly owned or, or publicly traded company, so they they can't hide. They're the one team that can't um, hide their finances. If they actually say they don't have money, they have to – somebody could actually prove that they do have money to spend, um, which is interesting um, that they – and they were the first couple, one of the first teams that, that came out and spent early. But um, no, I think I think um, I think Quintana would be probably in like the two two for twenty, two for twenty two to twenty five range, something along there. Um, but I think I think that may be worth it um, if the Sox are right around one hundred twenty million guaranteed for twenty twenty one. Maybe you know. I don't think one hundred forty million is too crazy. So if they if you kind of set aside ten million for your starting pitcher and maybe ten million for a, a DH upgrade, um, you know maybe that's the route they go. But for DH uh, in particular, I think if you're not trading Vaughn, I think that's definitely a short term option. Like I don't think they're giving Marcel's in a multi year contract or um, or really or I I don't think Brantley for two to three years either. Um, I think that that's going to be a one-year deal if they bring somebody in, which I think they will just to upgrade uh, just for 2021. See guys, the White Sox don't have to be uh, forced to be as transparent as Atlanta. We can just always assume they do have the money. You know, it's, it's, it's easier. It's even easier. Yeah. You don't have to pour yeah. over any sheets. I know you guys like the numbers, yeah. but you don't have to do it. The White Sox just say, yeah, they got the money. They're just not spending it. <laughs> but Hey, this is not the podcast to complain about that because they did just spend a ton of money on closer William Hendricks, and that's great. And I do hope it's a harbinger of the of, of trends that we might see uh, for the rest of the postseason. Although, again, the market doesn't have a lot of the, the sexy big names to uh, to throw a ton more money at, but you certainly want to see them fortify the team and put the best twenty six men out there possible with some great uh, fortifications uh, in 
ready and waiting in the minors with Andrew Vaughn and, and certainly some of the pitchers, Kolpak, will be in the major leagues at some point, you'd have to assume, uh, and a, a number of other guys. Uh, we can't necessarily expect the kind of jump that uh, we got like, like with the bullpen, uh, Jimmy Lambert until he got hurt, Cody Hoyer, uh, Matt Foster. You can't expect that every year, and last year was such a strange season. But uh, clearly this is a system that uh, is indicating that there are guys chomping and getting ready to, to, to come up. So while there are uh, plenty of eventual and maybe near future fortifications, uh, hopefully that's not going to – have Rick Hahn hesitating to, to add the way he still needs to because this team is not quite complete, even though we uh, added a very, very major piece uh, this week. Any other thoughts uh, on the off season in terms of what we may see or, or how quickly we might see next move? Do you think the White Sox want to wrap things up, say, this month, or, or, or does it benefit them to wait as close to spring training as possible uh, to maybe strike an even better bargain with players? Yeah, I think they definitely need to, I think they should wait it out um, a little bit here and just see, you know, see what happens with some of these markets, um, especially in the starting pitching front. I mean, uh, there's obviously, I think, a need and a want to add another pitcher. Um, And if you're kind of, you know, playing the trade market, seeing if you can get a deal that you like, um, you know, don't, don't, don't overpay. Um, And I think just see if, uh, see if a Quintana or Paxton, um, you know, maybe even Tanaka, see if one of those guys kind of falls in your lap and, and then you move forward with a kind of an elite rotation, uh, you know, maybe an elite bullpen and an elite lineup. And you're, you know, you're putting yourself right up there in the favors for the American league, which they might already be, but um, you know, now you're talking about, um, you know, competing with the, with the Yankees and Dodgers for one of the best all around teams in the, in the league. So um, yeah, I think they should kind of sit back and see how other teams play out. I mean, some teams haven't done absolutely a thing. Um, so I think, I think end of January, February is going to be very busy for a lot of teams. And I think that before that starts, I think you kind of just lay in the weeds and see how uh, the market develops for some of these guys. Yeah. I think that, you know, while the White Sox were tearing down throughout the rebuild and then now as they've been building up, they've always been relatively quick to make these moves early on in the off season and very aggressive with that. And so I think that as a, as a fan base and from a lot of what you're seeing on social media before this move was made, um, fans were getting impatient, mad that the money wasn't necessarily being spent, but there's still, you know, the, the market has been progressing very, very slowly as y'all know, but there's still a lot of time and I don't think they need to rush into anything necessarily um, kind of see what happens as Luke was mentioning and see, what the the best deal is that presents itself, whether that be a trade, whether that be a signing. Um, and, you know, with the way that Jerry has spent or not spent money in the past, they're going to want to try and get the best deal possible. So I, I don't think they need to feel like they're in any rush to do that. And, okay, you guys are the metrics guys. I know how I feel, but you guys are the metrics guys. Are you uncomfortable or are going to complain about a division where we end up taking two or three steps forward because the other teams all take two or three steps back? To me, that seems okay. I'll still take the division crown if that's how we win it, but is there any issue with that? No, absolutely absolutely <laughs> not. Um, you know, I think they, you know, Cleveland's a really well-ran organization. I don't think you can ever count them out. I think the Twins will still be there. Um, you know, they, maybe they haven't made the exciting moves at the Sox head yet, but, um, you know, I know Detroit, I think they got a good thing going there in terms of their development. Um, some of their young guys, and I think, um, Kansas City, well, Kansas City as well has got some good young players. So, um, 
you know, the Sox obviously know that their time is to, the t- their time to act is now, and um, I don't think it'll be too long before you see um, teams kind of running up their back trying to, um, you know, trying to take top dog in the division. But we can't even crown the Sox yet because they just finished third place and haven't won anything yet, so we're, we can't we can't crown them yet. Yeah. The, obviously, the big splash with Lindor with the Indians, um, as well as Carrasco getting rid of those contracts and shipping those guys off for prospects. You'd think that the Indians would probably take a step back, but it's still so early in the offseason. I wouldn't be shocked if the Twins are more aggressive later and uh, look like a more serious contender once everything wraps up and the season gets underway. And then, like Luke mentioned, that was another thing that I wanted to bring up those bottom feeders of the division, while they may not compete for the division this year, uh, they are improving. They're getting better. They have a lot of young talent. So overall, they're not going to be as easy to beat up on as last year where the White Sox absolutely ran through them. Uh, So in that regard, where the Indians might take a little step back and the competition for that division winner might not be as strong overall the division could definitely still be just as strong if not stronger um i mean the both central divisions in 2020 weren't anything to write home about so it's not like they were going from a world beater division last year so i i I definitely think that um the division as a whole could be stronger despite the indians maybe taking a little step back guys your your generosity is noted. I think you have just made Cleveland's and the Royals and the Twins and the Tigers. You've made their Christmas list. You will get Christmas cards next year. You've been very generous and very kind and very sweet. That's what we have you in here for. All right, listen, this podcast, if not for the uh, uh, fire alarm fire of the Liam Hendricks signing up until, oh, geez, I don't know, practically uh, program airing time was supposed to be uh, looking into uh, – the White Sox system prospects, our prospect list. We're obviously rolling with our top prospect countdown. We count a hundred of them. That's what we do. Uh, and the prospect vote that everybody's participating in now, I believe we're at uh, number 12 or 13. So that's going to continue rolling. And hopefully sooner than a month from now, we're going to get on for a dugout metrics number three. And we're going to talk more specifically, if not exclusively prospects with Luke's Mails and Trevor Lyons. But for now, thanks guys for uh, hopping on in this uh, emergency uh, dugout metrics podcast uh, discussing Liam Hendricks. I think there's a lot of cool insights. And listen, you spread a lot of generosity to the rest of the Central Division, and that's awfully sweet too. So uh, thanks for hopping on and doing that with me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully, yep. hopefully we get some more moves and uh, happy to uh, talk some prospects on here next time about uh, some of the future Southsiders. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, it could be pushed. Who knows? It could be pushed opening day if we just keep making great moves. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do that as well. But in lieu of any really hot activity, we will probably be on next with edition number three talking prospects. But again, everybody continue participating. Please keep voting in our uh, prospect uh, uh, competition that we have and naming our South Side Sox pro- pro- uh, top prospects by poll. Uh, and we'll be doing that through number 50. So we're going to do that probably close to the season. Uh, keep on reading. We appreciate you listening. It's been a very busy week and uh, we've got a lot of listens and uh, a lot of eyes on the stuff we're putting out on Southside Sox. So we appreciate all of you out there reading and listening and even watching. So uh, on behalf of Luke Smales and Trevor Lyons, thanks for joining us for Dugout Metrics number two. We will be back with our third podcast, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Thanks everybody for listening.